Our second reading from Scripture comes this morning from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would open our own hearts to you this day. Father, we confess that there are parts in our own souls and our own lives where we have been deaf to your word and mute to your gospel. Lord, of these things, we humbly confess, knowing, Lord, that your gospel and your glory transcend all of the sorrow and frustration and pain that we have experienced individually and collectively in our world. So, Father, give us a glimpse today of your glory, not only that we might have hope, but that we might see reality as it truly is, that you, who are the author and perfecter of our faith, are one soul at a time, giving ears to hear to fallen humanity, that we might know who you are and all the promises of your word. And Father, having known you, that we might be touched by you, and not only touched by you for our good and benefit, but, O oh Lord, you also are opening our lips to allow us to declare your praises to all the other ears that you are opening in our midst. Use us, humble us, inform us this day. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. Well, it is so good to be with you again. My name is John Herb. My wife, Christy, is over there sitting on the pew next to one of my daughters, Kate. Uh, we have another daughter, Clara, who is in the nursery. We'll share a little bit more about her in a few moments. And uh, I am currently serving at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, one of our sister churches here in the PCA, and actually the closest PCA congregation to you, I believe. Uh, Tim and I met a couple weeks ago and had lunch and got to know one another a little bit more. I've been, my wife and I have been in the area since September of this last year. We moved from the state of Michigan, which I've heard is north central Texas, uh, according to one of your members here. My wife is from Florida originally, which I guess that would be eastern Texas. And I am originally from Ohio, but I've lived all over the north in differing places. And friends, despite the dynamics of our life where the Lord has brought us, I have a message for each of us today, one that comes right from the heart of God's word. That is, God is infinitely, graciously good. In all circumstances, in all times and places, despite the expectations that we might have of him and of our own lives and the things that we think might happen or may happen, friends, God is reworking, he's rewording, he's reorienting our expectations all according to his glory. We'll see this unfold here in our passage. But before I move there, I'd like to play with this a little bit more as we think about our expectations. It's interesting and funny in life how much our expectations 
play into everything that we do and everything that we think. Marriage, for those of you that are married, you know that marriage is almost a continual dialogue of expectations as you try to navigate your expectations with those of your spouse. If you're a parent, you know these things are true as well, that your relationship with your children is also defined by their expectations and your expectations, and you're always trying to work this out in every season of your life. And part of the challenge and difficulty of our, of our expectations is pausing and hearing. Lord, what are you actually doing in the midst of my life, in the midst of the expectations that I bring to the table, things that I know and things that I don't know, depending on all of the hopes and ambitions and experiences that I've had and that I bring to the table. And the funny thing about expectations is that we often don't really understand what they truly are until we find that they aren't being met. You receive that phone call from a loved one about a car accident that another loved one is in, and it pierces your heart, and it breaks expectations that you had about that person's relationship with you and them. Or perhaps another set of expectations that you find yourself weeping when you hear that your body doesn't function the way it should, and perhaps pregnancy is not, or the dynamics of your pregnancy aren't what you thought they were going to be. My wife and I, our expectations were absolutely rocked when we went to receive confirmation that my wife was pregnant. And we went into uh, the room there where they were examined and the, connect, uh, the technician was doing the um, ultrasound on my wife's stomach. And we found that there was not one heartbeat, but two heartbeats that were present in my wife's womb. I mean, I thought when we walked out of the uh, room there that streamers were going to be flying and balloons were going to be flowing and everyone was going to be applauding, saying, congratulations, you're having twins. We were ecstatic. But then on the other side of expectations, just a few months later, we had complications in her pregnancy that revealed that life was going to be more difficult than we expected. And as a result of some of those complications and other things that we found out, found out about a little bit later on, after about nine years of trying to figure out why our daughter couldn't hear and continually were passing or were failing her hearing exams, we came to discover that our youngest daughter, Clara, was deaf. She was born without cochlear nerves. Those are the nerves in the brain that connect your ears to your brain itself and allow everything to communicate properly. She didn't have those. And that, of course, changed our expectations about what our life was going to look like and how the Lord was going to use us and how he was going to direct us. Nine months. Thank you. Not, yeah, nine months. Sorry. <laughs> Boy, we're a few minutes and I'm already being corrected by my wife. <laughs> uh, but friends, in the midst of these dynamics of expectations... God has good for us in every season. And this morning I'd like to look at a passage that has started to take a new meaning for us and a theme in scripture that has taken far new meaning for my wife and I as we consider the nature of deafness, how Christ ministers to it, how scriptures speak to it, and how deafness is one of the characteristics that describes the nature of our own relationship to the Lord. In our passage this morning, we will see that Christ certainly has authority over the hearing faculties of our bodies, but so also he has authority over the living faculties of our souls. 
So friends, let's have ears to hear this morning what the Lord has to speak to us through his word. Our passage continues, and we're jumping right into uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's been ministering among the people of God in the first century for uh, maybe about a year, a little bit more at this point in his ministry. Jesus, remember that his ministry was initially firstly to go to the lost sheep of Israel, to his own people, to the Jews. He was to proclaim the gospel to them, to share them news of the kingdom about his position and place in God's time and space, and that he himself was their God incarnate. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the second person of the Trinity. And here he is in their midst, healing them, serving them, teaching them, guiding them. And he's among them to teach them and direct them, but also to redeem them, to pull them away from their sins and their transgressions to pay the penalty for their sins on the cross and to give them new life through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit after his ascension into heaven. Here at this point in his ministry, he's still early on, and so you can't let that kind of gospel out all at once and not expect a national revolt. And so Christ is quiet, slowly, one moment at a time, one teaching at a time, teasing out and giving little hints here and hints there about who he is. And sometimes he can't help it. Sometimes he can't help but reveal and show his own glory and dignity, particularly as he encounters those who are hurting, who have been marginalized and who have been put aside. It's interesting, verse 31 in our passage, Jesus takes a very strange route to get from where he is to where he is going. If you have a map and are familiar with where Tyre and Sidon are located, they're in the northern part of Israel. And Jesus goes from Tyre north to Sidon further north. Then he heads back down over to the Sea of Galilee. Then he heads over to the Decapolis, the area of ten cities. There were ten cities that were located mostly on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so this kind of angled question mark is the route that Jesus takes to get from where our passage begins to where he's going. This is troubled scholars a little bit because they're like, why would Jesus take this out-of-the-way road to get ultimately where he is going? Well, for us as believers, we know, well, Jesus does what Jesus is going to do. He has a ministry, he has a plan, he has a purpose. He's not lorded by convenience or what seems logical in our own eyes. But there's also something here, I think, to consider that Jesus intentionally wanted to go and do something, not just among the Gentile regions in the north, in Tyre and in Sidon, but also in the Gentile regions of the, of the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was a center, 10 cities, 10 centers, regional centers of Hellenistic life and culture. And if you were a conservative Jew, perhaps living in, um, in Galilee or perhaps living down in Jerusalem, the cities of the Decapolis and Tyre and Sidon would represent everything that was wrong in the world, right? <laughs> That's where the Greeks are. They hate God. They worship false gods. They're caught in all kinds of folly, thinking that their worship to their deities is actually going to pay off for them. They're given to all kinds of ridiculousness and frivolity to the kind of lifestyle that occupied the Gentiles of that day. 
They're strangers to the covenants and the commandments. They don't know the truth of God. They're ignorant and foolish and lost in their thinking. Well, it's to this people that Jesus wants to go. Certainly, firstly, yes, to the, Gent- or to the Jews, but also he doesn't neglect the Gentiles in their midst. And it's here while he's there that an unnamed they, the crowd, they bring to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Well, the circumstances of deafness today are present in our world. We're aware of them. According to the World Health Organization, about 20% of the global population experience some form of hearing loss. 5% of the global population require treatment to correct uh, that hearing loss. It's interesting, there's concern about hearing today increasingly getting worse, because our music is getting increasingly louder. (laughs) Which I find ironic, being almost 40 years old and, you know, some 25 years old, my grandmother telling me to turn down the volume on my Walkman. You remember those? On a Walkman, uh, so that I wouldn't make myself deaf. Well, the circumstances of hearing loss for this man would have had a profound effect upon his own life. If we think about poverty in the sense of a lack of resources, this man was poor in multiple categories. He was poor given the physical resources that were given to him. He was impoverished as a result of the spiritual resources that were available to him. And also he was impoverished due to the social resources that were around him as well. Thinking about the physical resources, the most obvious are the effects of his hearing loss and of his speech impediment. There's a connection between hearing and speaking that we often take for granted as hearing individuals. When you're developing language, you need to learn how to mimic, and mimicking and imitation is a great way of learning language and developing language acquisition. And when you can't hear, you have no access to sound, and thus your ability to develop traditional communication is greatly inhibited. We don't know from the language of the original text the exact dynamics of his hearing loss. It seems very likely that his hearing loss had been with him for a long duration of time. It seems very, very likely that it was from childhood, given that he has absolutely no communication skills whatsoever. He cannot be understood by those around him. It's not like he heard, had some language, and could be understood. There's no real understanding uh, from him by his peers and those who are around him. Uh, And um, it's interesting, you know, again, comparing dynamics today to then, that about three in 1,000 people experience deafness from childhood. This is an incredibly rare thing to happen today. But even more so if we think about the dynamics in the ancient world where unwanted children were often left exposed and there weren't medical resources that were available and the deaths of, um, the relative death of children in their populations, uh, he was likely extremely isolated from childhood. Didn't know how to communicate. Didn't know how to understand the relationships that were around him. Didn't know what was going on around him. In this, he would have been extremely dependent upon others for his life circumstances and in trying to develop social skills, cues, and interactions, he would have been greatly inhibited and placed amidst great frustration. 
Well, that's a little bit of his physical and social dynamics, but you know, spiritually, he's also not in a great place either. I mentioned he's a citizen of the cities of the Decapolis, and knowing and learning and understanding and hearing and being positioned in a place to grow and understand in faith, he was raised in a very pagan dynamic and context. But despite these dynamics, he does have three things going for him. He is surrounded by a community that cares enough for him to bring him to Christ. Secondly, he finds himself not just in a community that cares enough, but he is also living in the time in which Christ lived. Thirdly, he is personally brought face to face with Jesus Christ and his disciples. See, as we think about some of the dynamics that contribute to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being, encountering Christ and encountering his disciples is no bad place to be in the circumstances and dynamics of our lives. Well, Jesus here in his passage, in the midst of the chaos and the calamity of the crowd clamoring and begging him and pleading him to heal this man, he does what initially seemed to us some strange reactions or some strange actions in his work to heal and minister to this man. Our passage reads in verse 33, And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touches his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and then speaks. Let's think about these actions for a moment. That Jesus first takes him aside. He pulls this man away from all the chaos and calamity that's around both of them. And he brings him one-on-one, face-to-face, with himself. He takes his fingers and puts them into his ears. And for who a man who cannot speak, he's feeling the sensation of his ears being plugged and now his ears being unplugged. He spits. And with that spitting motion communicates the functionality of the tongue. And then he touches the man's tongue. You see, you see what Jesus is doing? He's signing to the man. I mean, not with perhaps formal signs, but he's communicating to the man what he's going to do for him. I'm going to unplug your ears. I'm going to make your tongue function. He looks up to heaven, showing where the authority and power comes from, and then he breathes deeply, revealing that he is a conduit of that divine heavenly power. You see, through these, through these four signs, Jesus is showing the deaf man the, enough information about who he is to prompt this own man's faith in him. Now, the man doesn't speak, so Christ can't have the traditional conversation with him. But we know that Christ knows the hearts of those around him. And he also knows when faith is there sufficiently for Jesus to respond in healing. And through these actions, he then speaks. Which is funny. Isn't it funny that Jesus speaks and the deaf man can't hear? But Jesus still speaks nonetheless, and the deaf man is healed. Well, why is that? Because healing, the work of new creation always comes through the expressed word of God. 
So going back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, when God formed all things, he formed them by the exercise of the words of his own mouth. He spoke and all things came into being. So also frequently when Jesus heals, he does it through the, through the exercise of his mouth. See, it doesn't matter if the man can't physically heal, hear him. Jesus has already communicated the gospel to him through a manner that he can experience and understand. Now the work and function of his voice is to heal the physical edifice of his body that it might respond according to Christ's intention. And this work for Christ is an act of new creation. He's taking ears that didn't function and whatever the complications were there, he's fixing them supernaturally through his word and through his speech. Whatever complications were there that didn't allow this man's tongue to function, whether it was a deformity, he allows that to start functioning. We see in the passage after the healing that the man is able to speak plainly which means that Jesus has given the man the ability to understand language. He's given him vocabulary, syntax, cognitive functionality, the muscle memory to actually be able to form words that weren't there. See, oftentimes when we read through these passages in our devotions, we gloss over things quite quickly. But when we slow down, we see how much is actually going on in these few verses. Christ is doing an amazing work. For us to learn languages today takes us about two to three years to develop the necessary skills to even navigate ourselves in a conversation. And here, after Christ's healing touch, he allows the man to speak plainly. So much so that the man can be understood both by Christ and by those who are around him. Well, if that isn't enough of a gift to this man... There are three additional gifts that Jesus gives to this man through his actions for him. What voice do you think is the first voice that this man hears? We don't know precisely, but we know that our next person speaking after the crowds is Jesus Christ himself. This man hasn't heard for perhaps his entire life, and one of the first voices he hears is the voice of Christ himself. You see, this is a strange gift. It's a beautiful gift for God to give one of his children. The ability to hear not just any voice, but uniquely, clearly, from the beginning of his life, to hear his own voice. You see, Christ also gives him a lifelong reference point. You see, every sound that this man hears for the rest of his life, whether it's the rustling of the wind in the trees, whether it's a conversation among friends, whether it's a joke that someone tells, every sound that he hears is because of something that Christ did for him. Likewise, also, every joke that he tells, every story he tells, every relationship that he builds through the exercise of his voice comes to him because Christ gave him the ability to speak. See, what's interesting about this dynamic is that as beautiful as it is for this man, it's true for us too. <laughs> every sound that we hear, every conversation that we have, comes to us because it was something that God gave to us. He gave all of us the ability to hear. He gave all of us the ability to speak. 
And though he doesn't give all of us every gift necessary for us to accomplish the plans that he has for us, the things that he has given to us, he's given to us that we might treasure him. And this in our own lives has been one of the beautiful truths that God has been teaching us through this season and circumstance in our life. That, okay, once he's reoriented our expectations that our daughter is deaf, now then, how are you going to raise your daughter given the circumstances that are before her? And with that raising, we found levels of joy that we never would have found if it wasn't for these own circumstances. In our own search for educational opportunities and resources, we were looking for better opportunities than we found in Michigan. Michigan's a great state, but local to us, there weren't a whole lot of deaf and hard of hearing schools. And part of our own desires, coupled with the desire for a vocational change for me as I was looking for a new call, have led us right here to Austin, Texas. We've been able to enroll both of our daughters into Texas School for the Deaf, and the Lord has been opening new channels of relationships and communication and community through a group of individuals that we never would have met or encountered if it wasn't for these circumstances. As we reflect also in God's own teaching for us, there is profound joy that we can find and savor in some of the simplest things that the Lord brings to us. I'm amazed at how wonderful and amazing things like breakfast tacos are. <laughs> things like barbecue, which real barbecue is brisket, right? <laughs> These little things that show that God is good. He's given us the abilities to taste to experience the joy and beauty of creation around us, and to remember that he is the author of all good things, not us. And sometimes we would never treasure these things if God didn't withhold certain gifts for us and give us other gifts in his good timing. Well, let's consider, lastly, the crowd's response to these circumstances. I find it extremely ironic that Christ heals the deaf man, and then immediately he begins charging, not just asking or requesting, but charging the crowd to tell no one. But the more he charges, the more zealously the crowd proclaims it. It's like a back-and-forth comedic event, right? Don't tell, don't tell anybody what I just did. They get louder. Don't tell anybody what I just did. They get louder. Don't tell anybody what I just did. They get louder. It's like that Three Stooges circumstance where Curly is trying to put on the pipes in the shower, and he can, the more and more that he does it and adds more pipes, the more and more wet he gets. Well, here in our passage, we find the Gentile citizens of the Decapolis proclaiming something that for his disciples' ears would have astonished, surprised, and blown their expectations out of the water. They say, he, referring to Jesus, has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is a direct allusion to Isaiah 35, which was read earlier in our service this morning. Isaiah 35 talks about the circumstances that will happen when the Lord himself visits his people. When he sets all of the wrongs to right, he heals his people, he brings the nations back into communion and fellowship with him. And one of the actions he does is that he makes the deaf hear, he makes the, the mute speak, he makes the lame to walk and run and leap. And right here on our passage, this is what those pagan citizens of the Decapolis 
are proclaiming in the midst of the disciples and Jesus' ears. Friends, is the world around us communicating trace elements of the gospel? Are they revealing joy in the themes of the gospel that they themselves are longing to find restored? Yes, I, I think so. And it's strange and it's hard for us to see because sometimes our own ears are so clogged up by our own frustrations, our bitterness, our hurt, our anger by being citizens of this country in which we find ourselves in. But man, we find a world that is furious at the realities and the impeding realities of death. We fight it culturally and socially by trying to make ourselves younger and younger and younger and delay the inevitable. We find ourselves also longing for unconditional love and requiring others to make us, to love us unconditionally, even though sometimes we're unwilling to take the steps to love others unconditionally as well. We find ourselves longing for a higher power to take care of us. And when we live in a world that doesn't believe God exists, we expect that higher power to be our governing authorities or the rich or the wealthy around us. But friends, do you see the themes of the gospel playing out there in the lives of those in our world? Friends, we live in a world that's longing for the gospel. And the world around us is too deaf to the realities of the gospel to see how Christ himself fulfills it. But this is where the good news comes in. That he's given us ears to hear. He's given us mouths to speak. To humbly proclaim the diverse excellencies not out of a position of power or pride or arrogance, but one of brokenness. For we too were once deaf to the truths of God. But by his grace, his mercy, despite our own folly, frivolity, and ridiculousness, he's been good to us. He's shown us his grace. He's proclaimed his truth in our midst. And he's given us ears to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, may the gospel strengthen you today. May the truth of his word encourage you. May you remember also that we who were once deaf have now been given ears to hear the goodness of God. And that, friends, is a great thought indeed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your sons and as your daughters. And Father, we come before you as your sons and daughters whom you have loved. Father, in your love, would you continue to direct our own hearts this day? Lord, where there might be deafness, spiritual deafness in our hearts, would you show us the ways in which we need you to work in our lives? Would you open our hearts to you again? And would you even use those around us to speak into our lives that there might not be any hindrance or obstacle between us and you? Father, give us ears to hear. Give us mouths to proclaim. And Father, give us hearts to further grow in the love that we have from you. For Lord, you have healed us. You have given us ears. You have given us eyes and mouths. And Father, use us then as agents of your glory. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.